Are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. Okay, Andrew Lauderstein, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you? Thanks, Brett. Good to be here, mate. Very good. Where, where are you coming from? Um, the Sunshine Coast, Alexandra Headland. So you can probably see a little um, bit of the ocean in the background there, sitting um, on the on the heads here at Alex Headland. It's beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Now, who do you work for? What are you doing? Yeah, so I'm actually here for work. Um, so the Aussies is on, which is the Australian Surf Lifesaving Championships. Yeah. And myself and I... Um, Myself and Toby Hainan, um, we're the two owners of a swimwear company um, called Engine. Um, so we're in like performance swimwear um, yep. in the pool and in the surf. And we're probably the premier surf lifesaving brand um, on the beach. So yeah, just supporting our athletes. We sponsor probably 50 athletes that are competing out there over the over the, the week period. So it's yeah, it's good just to connect with them. Um, my home base and Engine's home base is in Melbourne. So kind of tucked in off the back of age nationals, open nationals, then Aussies. Um, then I actually go on my honeymoon next week. So it's been um, the whole month of April on the Gulf um, in, in Queensland, which has been awesome. Wow. Congrats, mate. Now, yeah. normally I would I would just kind of dig into the work, but I, I saw your name and then I, I saw one of your races just recently. You're swimming again, mate. You're competing again. What's going on? Um, just for fun, Brett. Just for fun. It's definitely not a comeback. Um, yeah. So again, with with the work piece with Engine, um, I've also I also own a swim school, um, and so does my business partner Toby. He owns two swim schools. Wow. And during the Corona and during the COVID period, we picked up another pool. Um, and with that pool came um, a swimming club. Um, we were going to have a full time coach. So we we started in November. We were going to have a full time coach come on board. But he got an offer that was too good to refuse, so he didn't end up coming and coaching. Um, so then I picked up the coaching um, of the club team. So I've been coaching kind of 10 sessions a week um, and just being around the water a little bit more, I've decided to jump in. Um, and then once I got in, I started actually feeling all right in the water. I was probably just doing one or two sessions a week. And, do you know, you just do a 53 and it's like, touch, oh, geez, that was a 30. That felt like a, a five out of 10. So I was like, oh, I'll throw my hat in the ring, join the club, and then actually won the state sprint championships in the Victorian state 53. And then I was like, I'll oh, stuff it. I'll do open nationals and, and then I might do Olympic trials as well, but just for fun. And that's awesome. It's, it's nice to have fun and swim fast at the same time. Yeah, I think I think it, it definitely helps to swim fast to make it fun. But I think it's something that I kind of look back at now um, and realize that swimming does have such an emphasis on high performance. Yeah. Um, and just managing that expectation is something that I'm trying to work on with myself, you know, and and you know, I, I didn't race great at open nationals. And the first thing I wanted to do was maybe just train more and take it a little bit more seriously. But mm-hmm. then I kind of have realized maybe, hey, Andrew, you've been a competitive athlete for for 15 odd years and you've been out of the sport for nine years, why not just continue to have fun with it? Just train those two, three times a week for 45 minutes and just continue to race and manage the expectations, win, lose, draw, swimming fast, swimming slow, just enjoy the process rather than the actual outcome, which is so different, you know? Yeah. I was going to say that it's a great way to look at it, but I'm sure that's not the way you viewed it when you were a competitive swimmer for Australia. Uh, shit, no. Um, the complete opposite, actually. I was um, very serious and, you know, took all my training, uh, like very anal with my preparation, anal with my sleep, anal with my the, the food I was eating. Um, mm. And that, it, almost to my detriment, 
um, in the end. I think um, when I was a little bit younger, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, when I was swimming my best and just continued to improve, I was just like a bit more of a free spirit. Um, but then after the bronze medal in Beijing, I, I, I changed my psyche towards being more of a professional athlete, which almost made me a little bit stiff and a little bit tight in my preparation. And I think it, it came over into my performances when I raced as well. Well, that, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that, you know, in terms of how that affected some performances. But you did mention 2008. I want to jump back before that. I think, uh, mm. I think you and I actually swam for Australia on the same Australian team in 2006. Is that right? Yeah, Com Games, Melbourne. Yeah, I actually How old were you? 100, 100, um, that was my first year out of school, so I was 18. Okay. That was, was, so that was, was your first I was swimming backstroke. Big backstroke? Yeah, yeah, backstroke. So I made the Worlds team in 2005 in my last year of high school. Mm. And then um, – so I just swam the 100 backstroke there and then just the 100 backstroke again at the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. Um, right. Just – I think I came maybe fifth, something like that, and swam the heat for the – the medley relay as well but yeah it's just just the beginning so 2006 you're swimming backstroke 2008 you're a bronze medalist at the olympic games mm. and the 100 butterfly what happened in those two years yeah i think it kind of rewind back to 2004 uh, when i was 16 at the big state championships i dropped i think it was i went from a minute backstroker down to a 56 backstroker in the mm. one competition and actually beat matt welsh and josh watson um, in that state championship. So that was kind of January 2004. And then the Olympic trials at April in 2004. So it's kind of like, oh, I, in the lead up to that event, I was more of a freestyle and a butterfly, but my backstroke dropped so much and I almost threw my hat in the ring to, to make an Olympic team. So my coach, Glenn Baker, and I just decided, oh, stuff it. Let's just try and work on our backstroke over that four-month period to see how close we can go to making the Olympics. Right. Um, so 2004, as a 16-year-old, I missed the Olympics by 0.18 or something like that. I think oh. I got third at, yeah, third at that Olympic trials. Um, so then we stuck with backstroke, made the team the next year, stuck with backstroke, made the Commonwealth Games 06. Um, and then kind of in that two-year period of concentrating on backstroke, I hadn't improved that much. I think I went from like a 56-0 or 54-8, right. which wasn't really competitive in a world stage. So after the Commonwealth Games, we decided to, you know, dabble more in the free and the fly. Um, and then that improved 07 when I made the worlds for the 100 fly. And that was one of the best events swimming at Rod Laver. And then again, improved the year, um, the year following in 2008 and just continued to drop time once I concentrated on those two more. Wow. Nice. Awesome story, especially getting into 2008. Now, 2008, I don't know if everybody knows this who's listening right now, but you were part of really the greatest race in history. I mean, it's the one that's probably been viewed the most out of any race mm -hmm. in history. Um, the men's hundred butterfly in Beijing. A lot of people will know it for the race where Michael Phelps won. I believe it was his seventh gold medal at that stage and, mm -hmm. um, and won by one, one hundredth of a second. And it's, it's that picture of Phelps and Kavik at the end of that race that is kind of iconic and most people yeah. don't realize that they gave out a bronze medal there as well, right? <laughs> yeah, and that was me. That's the exact story I tell. I, I tell people, you know that race that Michael Phelps didn't look like he won, but he won? 
Well, I got third in that one. And they're like, oh, that's a sick race. Yeah. And actually beat Ian Crocker, who was the world record holder at the time by 0.01 also. So I was the guy in all those memes when Phelps is splashing the water and celebrating. I was the guy getting splashed by Phelps. (laughs) (laughs) But in saying that, though, I was actually up on the lane rope celebrating my bronze medal like I'd won gold. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's the end of it. I want to, I want to go to the kind of the, start of it let's let's walk through this whole process of getting to this event and then racing the event as well so um you know you go in as one of the fastest qualifiers i think you're in lane three right so you would have been uh what third fastest qualifier yeah um and so you're you're preparing finals are in the morning so you you have to go to bed all night and then wake up the next morning for the final so talk to me about how you felt the night before and then how you woke up yeah, I think before we go into that one, I think the lucky part for me was I was involved in the freestyle relay on the first night. Right. Um, so we got the, the Australian team, we got third in that one. And to do that one and get a couple of good swims under my belt made me a little bit more confident in our preparation that everything was going on track before the fly. Um, <clears throat> the fly in itself, I, I think I went ranked into the Olympics in the teens, late teens. So the goal for me was really just to make the final. Um, mm. so, so the heat, I went from, a, I think a 51, eight swimmer to a 51, five swimmer, um, and then improved again from a 51, five to a 51, three. So I kind of, my whole junior swimming career, I was really goal focused. I mean, time focused rather mm. than outcome. Um, but that does change a little bit at the Olympics. Um, so I was really happy with the way I was able to execute my race plans and continue to do PB and then PB. Um, the semi-final in itself, when you're racing a guy like Phelps, um, I was in the semi-final with him, and this is actually quite a good story. Um, semi-final, I was semi-final number one, um, and Phelps had just won the 200 medley, um, and he was doing um, – so he broke the world record. He's out there doing the medal presentation. So 50-meter right. meter pool like that, he's out there on the dais. He gets his, gets his gold medal, waves to the crowd, throws his flowers to his mum, walks around, and then comes back into the marshalling room. So he takes off his um, medal presentation jacket, puts on the pre-race jacket, puts it on, puts on his headphones. The official goes, hey, Phelps, are you ready to go? He goes, thumbs up. So we just walk out <laughs> after winning a gold medal, breaks the Olympic record. I just, I just think that sums up kind of the, the mental strength that he had for gold medals to not really affect his psyche um it was just on such a mission to just go out there and execute whereas for me after winning my bronze i didn't sleep for for the next two nights and i, I couldn't be controlled yeah he's, <laughs> yeah, a, he's a machine yeah just just over and over first one at the pool last one to leave and just the consistency it was, it was amazing to be part of his first his seventh and his eighth gold medals at the olympics well i was going to say that i was actually on the pool deck i was coaching and and I was there with an athlete who, who had success too, but he, um, what I noticed is there was a change in the way that the, the people were viewing him on the pool deck as the meet was going on. So by the time he got to you, I felt like there was a real sense that Phelps was invincible. Like he was unbeatable Mm. even before the race itself. So what, where was your mental state at that point when you're in the ready room with him? Um, I, I was lucky enough to kind of separate myself from the Cavich and Phelps and Crocker battle that those three had going on. Mm-hmm. I was just a 21-year-old Aussie with like a little dreadlock coming out and this <laughs> big mop of a hair who was just going about his own little thing. Um, 
I just focused on myself, to be honest, Brett. I had I had a really good playlist. I just put my headphones in and just went out and executed. Um, the only the only thing that my coach um, Grant, I mean Glenn Baker, and then Grant Stolweiner at the Olympics, all they said to me was just not try too hard. We understand yeah. that it is Olympic final, and all you want to do is go go really fast. Just let it happen. Con- um, be confident in like your stroke length, um, your technique, and then that'll that easy speed will just come without having to force it. Did it did it go like that? Did you get in the pool and and feel the flow of that first fifty? Yeah, completely. Even more so on the second fifty. Um, I'd practiced back end speed fifties thousands of times before that hundred fly. So having touching at the hundred meter mark, turning, I knew exactly how many kicks off the wall I was going to do. I knew how that first stroke was going to feel. The next two strokes up, breathing, and then to get into my stroke, I'll take you know a breath down, two up head down and then I'd start working into the wall and it was just like I'd practice a thousand times. So that was the, the easy part, the back end. Yeah. You, you were in uh, three and Kavik was in four. He got out super fast. Did that affect you in any way? I don't think so. I, I turned away from him, which mm. I think was a good thing. So my back was to him. If I had have seen him, I would have felt like a little, like I had to rush, but I still felt in control at the turn. Now, just before we get to the end of the race, before this Olympics itself, had you raced these two men before, like Kavich and Phelps? Um, I had, but I didn't make a final. 2007, I swam the 100 fly, but I only made the semifinal. So I had never stood on the blocks and raced the world championship final for the 100 fly, no. So this is your first real big experience next to these two men. Um, mm. you know, as we said, Phelps has got this awe around him. Kavik's gone out like a machine and, and you're staying pretty relaxed at the 50 meter mark. It sounds like. Yeah, I was pretty fearless. Um, in hindsight, um, I was just, just didn't let things affect me. I was, I was so confident in my preparation and confident in what I could achieve by myself. I also didn't have the expectations of having to win a gold medal. Um, you know, no one back at home thought that that was going to happen. So for me to even just be in the final was, was a success in itself. Did you feel like there was a probability that you could you know, beat one of those guys? Like you said, Crocker was the world record holder. Then you have Phelps and Kavik. Uh, did you feel like you could get on the podium? No. Nah. No, at, at probably, probably at no stage did I think that. Even had my mate um, Ryan Pinney, who was in the final as well, and just doing that with him was was pretty special. Wow. So you swam 50.3, you've hit the 50-meter wall, you're coming back. Do you feel like you're swimming faster than that at that stage? At the 75-meter mark, do you, you feel like this is your best swim? Yeah, I could tell I was putting it together perfectly. Um, and then all I had to do was just maintain stroke length, um, just not let my let, let my technique fall apart. Just continue to do exactly the same thing for every stroke and just get get on the ball with my head down. Did you notice Kavik ahead of you? Did you feel like you were behind? Was there any panic or were you just focused on the wall yourself? I was focused on the wall myself, but in saying that, I had raced uh, post-Olympics. You raced Phelps a couple of times. And what happens with Phelps is when he starts crawling on your back or you, you typically lead him out the first 50. Mm-hmm. And as he's coming over the top of you, you start to see little bits of splashing in right. your lane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that, and that's when things start to fall apart. Yeah. But the, at this stage, at, at the 80, 90 meter mark, you're not feeling that. You're just focused on what's no. ahead of you. Yeah, just focus on myself every stroke. Yeah. And then when you hit the wall, did you feel – What well, I mean, did you just need to the, see the time to get reassured of what happened? Um, I, you know, when you, when you do a good swim, you know you've done a good swim. Yeah. Um, I t- touched the wall and I just 
automatically saw the number three next to my name. And then I was fist pumping and celebrating to the little pocket of Aussies sitting in the crowd. Um, it literally felt like a gold medal. You know, like when a good swim or a gold medal swim doesn't hurt, it felt yeah. like that. Wow. Mm. Did you, um, when was the first time you watched it back? Like in terms of, you know, seeing the result between Kavik and Phelps and how close you were, is that as you were walking out of the pool? Um, I don't think so. I, um, I just kind of move on, um, straight away. Um, I, I don't typically sit in the moment too long. Um, of course I celebrate and was super happy with it, but I, I didn't sit down and um, reflect on the, the physical race too much, to be honest. But I mean, in terms of Kavik and Phelps, obviously, obviously there mm. was, you know, that moment that they had, did you know, did, yeah. when did you see that the first time? Yeah, I, um, we were in the, we're waiting to go out to get the medals um, and now watching the finish over and over because um, oh, right. there was some, something that was happening with Omega. Um, I know Kavich, I think, thought that he got his hand on the wall first. Um, so I think there was a bit of a protest, but, mate, I let them have it. I'll, I'll take my bronze and, and be happy with that. Was there anything going on while you guys were waiting for the medals? Like, was Kavich saying anything to you or anything like that? Not, not to me personally. I think it was more to the officials. Um, and I know that some of his team were, were taking it up with the officials. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was naive, Brett. I was, I'd won my gold medal. Yeah. They can have it. <laughs> you got yours and ran away. But yeah. When did it become a situation where you were kind of cut out of the conversation? I mean, you've got this medal, you feel amazing and your family and friends are celebrating, but everyone else in the world is just focused on what happened between first and second. Did you, did you start to notice that? Um, not really. I was, mate, I was pumped. I, I never, I never was like, you know, very um, famous for a swimmer in Australia or anything like that. Um, this was my biggest achievement of my, my swimming career. So I was just happy to, to just do it for myself and do it for my family and mates. Yeah. That's well, a, it's a crazy event. I mean, looking back on it now, do you still feel the same way about it? like you gave it everything you had at that point? Yeah. I, I would say I had the perfect preparation and the perfect heat semi and final races and um, yeah, couldn't be happy with it. Yeah. It must be, must be, uh, you know, a good feeling to know that you were part of one of Phelps's, you know, eight gold medals and just in that race and with him and, uh, I mean, it was a it was an incredible moment in time, wasn't it? Mm, it really was. It was um, very unique what he was able to achieve. Um, like I said before, just the the mental fortitude to stay so relaxed and so determined over that seven day period, race after race, knowing the kind of the mental and physical toll that winning a medal takes on you at the Olympics. That just his ability to back up was something else. Yeah, mate, I just watched uh, his documentary that came out just a couple of days ago mm. where, where he talks about each event, each race that he swam at the Olympics, not just the medals, but the ones that, uh, you know, he competed in. I think it was, I think it was like 30, 30 swims at the Olympics. I mean, something crazy. Like that. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, he gave a breakdown of the, of the race. Have you seen or heard the footage of, of all of that? Nah, I'll have to watch it. What do you say? Uh, I mean, I mean, obviously just the focus is on the, the battle between him and Kavik, you know, just, yeah. he, he breaks it down in terms of what happened there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was just an incredible race, really. I've got to mention in his book. I'll take that. Oh, you did? Nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read it and as I was going through, I saw my name. That was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> you got the bronze, mate. He had to mention you, of course. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> 
so then when I'm looking, you know, through your history, I don't see much after this. I mean, you go to the world championships in 2009 and you have a great meet. Um, mm. uh, what happened after that? Yeah, so 2009 Rome world champs um, went pretty well. I think I got fourth in the 100 fly and did a couple of good relays. Um, and then 2010 was the Commonwealth Games year. Um, that was the Commonwealth Games in Delhi. Um, and that was an event that I actually wanted to win. Um, I'd never spoken about winning before. It was more based on times. Um, so I was training like an animal, um, almost overtraining for that one. Um, so by the time the Commonwealth Games came around, my immune system was so weak um, that I got to Delhi and just kind of fell apart. Mm. Um, I ended up missing, I, I swam the heat of the 50 fly um, and then literally walked around to the massage table and fell in a heat, um, oh, wow. got taken back to the village and, and didn't leave my bedroom for four or five days. Um, oh, wow. So I ended up, yeah, so I ended up missing the semi of the, uh, the fly, the 50 fly, missed the 100 fly and then missed the medley relay as well. So at that time um, I was part of um, Jeff Hugel's comeback. Um, so I guess off the back of um, Beijing, me being the, the best butterfly in Australia, there was no better person for Skippy to come back and train with. Um, mm. And I saw him um, even when he was 125, 130 kilos, which is 275 pounds, so a pretty big boy, jump in the water and swim and just his effortless um, ability to sit so high in the water, catch water. You could tell that if he was to lose some of that weight, um, he'd be a really fast swimmer again. Um, and week after week, I just saw him losing weight, losing weight, losing weight. And um, he was essentially just doing the same training program as me um, and using me as kind of the benchmark for, mm. you know, I see Andrew over there doing sit-ups, I'll do some sit-ups, or I see Andrew doing some skipping, I'll do some skipping. And I started doing extra outside of what our training program was. Mm. Um, so, you know, I was doing secret spin classes, extra gym, you know, and recovery sessions, doing bloody hypoxic or doing extra stuff off the walls and just kind of wrote myself into the ground because I, I kind of grew up thinking that more was better. Um, and, and once I was that, you know, that 21, 22, a little bit older, I just couldn't get away with it anymore and I couldn't recover and I was just weak by the time I got to Delhi and then got back from Delhi and then had a shocking 2011. So I missed the, I think it was Shanghai world championships, um, and then moved back to Melbourne. So as soon as you're not, um, on an Australian team, as you'd know, like funding is just completely cut. Um, I was living in Sydney, living in the eastern suburbs where rent is just uh, like astronomically expensive. So it just wasn't sustainable for me to, to try to, you know, be a professional athlete with even just the limited amount of revenue coming in that you get from being on the swim team with, without that anymore. So I thought that to give myself the best chance of making Olympics in 2012, I was to move back to Melbourne um, and live with mum and dad again um, mm. and train with Ian Pope at Big Centre. So I moved back and, and you know, I, I threw my heart and soul into the preparation for um, Olympic trials in 2012 um, and then just wasn't good enough on the day, um, turned up in Adelaide and and didn't make a final, I don't think, didn't make the final of the, the 100 free or the 100 fly, but kind uh -huh. of walked away, walked away proud that, of the effort and the sacrifices that I'd made into that preparation. Um, I was as fit as a fiddle. I was training with Matt Target and um, I looked like I was ready to go, but I, I don't know if there was remnants of a bug or something I picked up in Delhi, but I literally swam like shit for a couple of years. Um, wow. Even though preparation, um, the effort that I was putting putting in was even more than, you know, ever before. I just, every time I stood up and raced, I just couldn't hold it together um, at the back end of a race. 
And did it get worse then, I guess? Like the, the, the worse you do, the harder you want to try? Yeah, correct. It's, yeah. Um, it just, you know, then it's like, oh, and then you start asking questions, you know, um, what, what do I need to change, you know? Um, maybe I try eating this type of way. Maybe I just need to, to remove this thing or add Pilates or do yoga. And it's just like my, it almost, when I was young, I was a, a dumb swimmer, a dumb, as in dumb as in I didn't really ask questions or didn't. Yeah worry too much about what I was doing in my preparation I just trusted the team that I had built around me um, and then I would just go out and perform my, my job was just to go out there and race um, whereas once I got a little bit older and a little bit smarter and I had these different preparations under my belt I wanted to experiment to get better because that was what I always wanted to do was just get better and doing the same thing over and over just didn't make sense to me mm. so I instead of instead of trusting my coaches to to make those slight changes for me I researched things and tried to take on those changes myself and it just didn't work. I think me, I was kind of headhunted relatively young to, to be in the position that I was in Beijing. I remember actually Hawkey, you might not remember, it was probably 2001. I came to an event camp at Haylebury College um, and you were doing some of the sprint stuff there. I would have been 13 years of oh, age wow. or 14 mm. and I got thrown in with you guys and that was kind of my first exposure to what it takes to be at that elite level and that was at 13 and at 13 I felt like I was put on a bus and the destination was Beijing mm. and and all the different stops along the way were race experience and training camps race experience and on that bus you know there was 100 people at the start and we were to get to Beijing and people just got off along the way you know boys girls booze school got in the way of some people but I stayed on that bus and it was just in Beijing I just got up there and executed you know and it was once I started questioning that bus trip or the route that that bus was taking that I kind of, my performances started to suffer. It sounds like you started to add baggage onto the bus too. Like every <laughs> yeah. performance you have, you add another bag and start carrying all this baggage. So, I mean, it's an yeah. interesting um, perspective, an interesting story too, to be able to share kind of like that success mm. and then the, the struggles and then becoming kind of like this classic overthinker as well. Mm-hmm. And just the trust. I think the trust piece right. is so important. Trust what your coach is telling you. Um, whether it is right or wrong, if you do completely trust in it, it, it more than likely is going to work out. Um, since we've taken over this pool in November, I've been doing some coaching myself. Um, and you can tell when you know, you're at a competition, you tell someone that we want to do 450s at pace and they go oh really it's like hey just just trust me you know like i'm telling you to do it we've got to trust in the process and this is what i'm telling you to do right now and you can tell with that just that little bit of doubt that that person has in the coach at that time that that's just going to possibly snowball and then lead to maybe not the, the performances that the athlete wants and i think that started to happen to me a little bit too much is just turn, just turn up listen to your coach trust them um and then yeah execute yeah, well, I mean that's a great message too. Yeah, I mean there's 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 a million different way to do things. You know, there's not one mm. path to success. A lot of people often say to me like, "Oh, if uh, Caleb Dressel swam for you, he'd be even faster." And like, Greg Troy is one of the best coaches in the world. He just does it differently than I do it. And and Caleb has complete trust in that. And that's what it comes down to is this, it doesn't really matter what you're doing, as long as you're trusting in it, then you can really have success with that. Couldn't agree anymore. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Done. So, yeah. So, so then when do you know it's over for you? Um, I loved training. 
Um, and then Olympic trials finished and I just never went back to training. Um, never, never formally retired or I just told Popey, I'm just not going to come back. And that was it. Um, and then I just moved on. I was lucky enough to be already working um, kind of part-time at Engine. Um, and then I just started working full-time and just moved on. Um, I was very lucky and, and I had been doing a little bit of groundwork as far as study um, and some work while I was swimming. So that transition was pretty smooth for me. I moved out with a couple of mates and then and just carried on. What didn't do, do, you have to retire to be able to get out of the drug testing pool? So, drug testers just follow you around for the next few years, <laughs> mate. I think my performances were so bad the two years prior that I was already kicked off the drug testing pool. <laughs> That's right, that makes sense. I was gonna say, like, you swimming now, you would have had to sit like nine months to go through that, that whole bit. Sounds like you didn't even go through that process at all. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Wow. I haven't been unless I was put on. I did. I did um, indicate some interest in competing. Oh, probably just before COVID, February last year. Um, and then I think I may have been put on a list, but there's been not a whole lot formally done. No. Are there other things now that you're coaching yourself and swimming and competing? Are there other things you're noticing? Like, man, if at, you know, how old are you now? Um, thirty-three. 33. So like, if you think to yourself, oh, you know, 10 years ago, if I hadn't known this, what I know now, or just this feeling that I have, um, mm. I would have been so much better. Yeah. A couple of things. Um, well, as soon as I finished swimming, I started, I got into CrossFit. Um, and then knowing me, I did it really competitively and ended up competing at the world games in LA, like mm -hmm. kind of representing a team um, that was out of Melbourne, which was called Schwartz CrossFit Melbourne. And we represented Australia on the world stage. So wow. I really got into that. Um, but I think one of the main things would probably just be like even more so now with what I do with work and kind of the stress of everything that I'm balancing um, is just some of the mindfulness. Um, you know, like I, I just use just an app. It's called Smiling Mind and just and use that most days just to kind of wind down and switch off. Um, and then with that comes being like, uh, even though I was never like super disrespectful or anything like that, I think just being more grateful for the opportunities mm. that I had and, and slowing down and just thanking people. Um, you know, thank you for the opportunity to do what I'm doing. Um, I know that this is pretty special. Um, again, saying that I was on that bus and my destination was just Beijing and maybe just had the blinkers on, just slowing down, appreciating the small things and thanking the team around me. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. It's, I um, spoke with Brent Hayden. He's he's another swimmer that's made, made a comeback and doing really well. And that's the big thing that mm. he said is just being grateful for everything around him and all the opportunities and the people that are helping him and all that sort of stuff. Have you mm. had a chance to go back to some of your former coaches and thank them? Yeah, I, I actually caught up with Glenn Baker just the other day. And um, even I'd say so the, the Open Nationals were at the, my pool that I trained at for three years on the Gold Coast. And right. I just love that whole warming up thing, you know, sculling, jumping around, pushing off the wall, mucking around. That's what I kind of missed. And yeah, just to catch up with Glenn, he goes, oh, Andy, can I get you, you know, do you need a dive? Or, you know, I'd love to get you just for a pace, just for old time's sake. And I yeah. said, oh, that'd be awesome, Glenn. You know, just that connection. I haven't, I haven't done a competition in nine years, but he's been on pool deck that whole time. And we, he, he was my coach from 11 to, to 21 so it was really influential on me during a few like some key formative years of my life and to to see him still doing such a great job coaching um and then to go back and to do that with him last week was pretty special 
That's awesome. Sounds like you've got some um, coaching ability. Do you want to do that at all full time in any way? Um, I'd like to, but just not now. I think yeah. um, once my life slows down a little bit, um, kind of my, my days um, since November have been like a 4.10 alarm for coaching from five to eight, then work all day until five and then coach again five till 7.30. Um, so I'm kind of getting home after eight and then doing that six mm. days a week. And then with Engine, we've, we do lots of activations and pop-ups. So working both Saturday and Sunday is just not sustainable. But um, yeah. I think so. I think um, I, I love it. I, I love what... Um, you know, working with an athlete and getting the best out of them. Um, and then also the enjoyment. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've had a couple of chats, our, um, our age group program, there's a lot of people who are going through or transitioning into that last two years of high school, um, which is yeah. where there's a massive, where there's a massive dropout of people swimming, um, especially in Australia. And I, and I think it's goes back to like, um, why I'm swimming and just managing expectations. Um, you know, it's, hey, you know what, how about you just take the, the foot off the gas for a couple of years, manage your, your swimming load and just come in the morning, um, do your schoolwork in the afternoon and hang out with your friends. And then, then you can still race um, and you can do some, you can still race well on four or five sessions a week if, we're tar if I know when you're coming and we can put the right training program together and you're still positive um, and have a really good outlook on your swimming. Um, and then you can and then you can give yourself opportunities once you finish school to go to a podium program in Australia or move over to the US and swim at a college system or something like that. Don't just, I think the, the worst thing people can do is just stop um, yeah. and just stop because they think it's too hard. It's like, just, just give it a go, just manage it for a little bit and we can see what we can achieve together. But back to your question. Yeah. Maybe when I'm, maybe when I'm 50, 50 plus or something like that and things have slowed down a little. Yeah. <laughs> Could be a while. Then. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, uh, good. looks like it's coming, but um, you swam in a meet that uh, one of my boys that I had the pleasure of coaching a little bit over the past few months was, was that the first meet Cody Simpson. Did you get a chance to meet him? Yeah, we caught up. Yeah, he's a good man. Um, yeah. I've, we've actually sent him out a fair, fair bit of gear. So he wears the, the engine, um, our swimwear a little bit when he's training and stuff like that. And I, I saw his heat and the final and he looks pretty good, Brett. Um, his yeah. heat, I reckon, was better than his final though. His, um, his skills were on, his dive were really good and breakout yeah. stroke looked good. Well, you know what yeah. it's like first it's time when the spotlight's on you and uh, everyone's watching and you're under that pressure, you, you tend to pull the water a little bit too hard sometimes. Yeah, funny. It, it happened to me as well. It's um, in Victoria. I won the state championships, and then I came to nationals. Um, and all of a sudden, your strengths kind of become, or not, not necessarily a strength, but what you thought you were okay at becomes a weakness. Um, and you start maybe start to doubt how you're starting off the block or your mm. technique. So maybe you start to tinker with things, or it's like maybe I just need to try a little bit harder. And that's yeah. why I reckon I went a little bit slower. It's because it's like, oh, now I'm racing these big boys. I've got to, I've got to really improve and muscle up and do my little bit. But um, yeah, it was really good to see, and I, I can't wait to see what he's able to um, do over the next eight weeks leading into Olympic trials. Yeah, he's training with uh, Bowley now. He's one of the best coaches in the world. So he's got he's uh, he's in a good group, doing some doing some good things. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that he can just kind of sit back and enjoy this Olympic ex trials experience, you know. And and mm. that's like you. What what are you swimming at the at the meet? The fifty free? Yeah, I think just fifty free. I gotta I gotta be a little bit more consistent with my training though. I think I think three forty five minute swims and three gyms a week for the next eight weeks is what I'm looking to commit to. Nice. Do you nice. reckon that's enough? I think that's pretty good. I think you'll get it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks. <laughs> are you um 
are you you know are you have you got a goal time in mind like are you shooting for something or are you just going to swim as fast as you possibly can well i went 22 7 and i was doing literally nothing um and then i and then i i thought i'd train a little bit and went a little bit slower um <laughs> i just thought that <laughs> i thought that you can just say oh yeah i'm gonna go 22 4 and just be able to do it um yeah. i think just around that 22 5 mark would be good i saw target went 22 48 though so that's yeah. the that's just the new goal him. is he is he coming out to do olympic trials from from what i understand yeah who knows uh, yeah good yeah, yeah. good <laughs> he's older than me i was the oldest guy at um open nationals i never thought that that would be me so i need target <laughs> to come back and take that mantle <laughs> mantle yeah the two old guys racing each other again yeah yeah that'd be good scotch scotch college scotch college versus brighton grammar too so we've been we've raced uh he's a couple of years older but we've been in the same swimming circles for you know 20 odd years so it'd be cool to go around and do olympic trials with him again yeah that'd be awesome what do you think of um the the olympics are they going to go ahead this year you think yeah Hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Just um, I caught yeah, I caught up with Kenny Wallace, who's um a gold medalist in kayaking, um, and he's a sh- one of the shifter commissions of mm-hmm. of um the AOC, um, and he's very confident with it. Just a, a fly in, fly out, and just people are there for a job, and that job is to compete. Um, and I think yeah. they're going to stick pretty firm with that, as long as I, I think that's within Australia. I think we can manage what we have going on with our team pretty well it's just whether or not the ioc and all of the other countries can can hold up their end because as you as, as we've seen here in australia thing or especially here in australia things get locked down just like that you know we had yes. a couple of cases in queensland and they closed their borders and you know shut down events and stuff like that so if it's got to do with australians we're going to be pretty strict i can imagine on what the criteria is for our team to travel um so as long as everyone else can uphold their part i think it go ahead yeah. be awesome mate i hope it works out it'd be it'd be shame not to have it it'd be great to have it you know we we need we need something like this on the back end of the whole COVID situation yeah i, I think we're, we're so lucky here in australia now that things are almost back to normal you know just a couple of k up the beach there'd be three thousand competitors um standing toe to toe racing all day for a week um mm. even just being at open nationals and just seeing how happy people are to be back competing um and supporting each other it was just so positive yeah, awesome. Now, listen. Um, for a majority of my audience is American. Can can we get Engine Swimwear in in America? Yeah. So the website engineswim.com, we ship worldwide. Um, we actually partnered with the USLA, so US um, Lifeguard Association, um, for a couple of years, a few years ago. But obviously, COVID put a bit of a halt to that. So we're involved in some surf life-saving stuff in the US. And um, I wore the, the, we've got a jammer, uh, FINA-approved jammer called the Bullet Jammer, uh, which was pretty fast, I reckon. Yeah. So, yeah, you can buy online. We ship worldwide. Awesome, mate. Well, listen, um, great catching up with you. Uh, Excited about the swim ahead. I'm looking forward to watching you again. And um, good luck with engine and everything else you're doing, okay? Yeah, legend. Thanks, Brett. All right. See you, mate. Take care. See you.